Thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Talent. I'm Nicole Fuqua. You're listening to our audio series where we dig into issues related to talent acquisition. Today, we're talking about change management in talent programs. Now, no matter the context, change is hard, but it's also necessary for improvement. Whether it's sore muscles after a new workout or frustrations as teams learn new, more efficient systems, it's impossible to improve without things getting at least a little bit hard. The key is making sure that pain isn't a symptom of something more serious. We can apply this to talent acquisition. Implementing a new RPO program is almost like a merger. You're assimilating teams, changing processes, and likely adding new technologies. It's not easy, and there will be difficult points, but it's about making sure that pain is more like a sore muscle than a broken bone. Now, to talk about the change management process, joining me is Emily Gordon, a client delivery leader here at People Scout. Emily has more than 21 years of experience in talent acquisition, and she has overseen sourcing, continual process improvement, and client implementations. Her expertise is in transitions, process improvement, team building, client relationship development, and operational delivery. She holds a Six Sigma Green Belt certification. Emily is also a graduate of the University of Michigan. Emily, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So change is hard, and even good change usually hurts at least a little bit. So for an RPO implementation, how much change should leaders at an organization expect? I think it depends on what they're trying to accomplish. So sometimes in an implementation, it's a full overhaul and everything is changing, and sometimes it's just a specific part. However, it's new people, it's a merging of cultures, and so there is going to be a stakeholder impact um, that they should plan for. And so how do you plan for that? What kind of steps can you take to get people ready, whether it's just a small change or it's a big, massive overhaul? I think what's important is to consider the stakeholder impact. So you have to think about everybody in the process that you're you're outsourcing that's going to be impacted. So everything from candidates to hiring managers, internal HR, if recruiters are uh, being exited from the organization, there's a social impact as well there that needs to be considered. It's very sensitive. So I think it's it's smart to move slow in the planning stages and really get into a room and think about any single person, every single person that's going to be touched in the process um, of what you're changing and then write out what it means to them. And so I think that's the first part. Um, I think the other thing you need to do is think about systems. There's always technology and integration there that has to happen. And how long does that actually take? What kind of training is going to be required? And then how do you socialize that so people feel a part of the solution versus having it done to them. One of the biggest mistakes I think people make is they discount a group and it's totally by accident usually they just forgot or it's not something they thought of and and you really need to make sure that every single person is consulted and informed so that they can get their buy-in. So I know that you use a four-phase system over the first 100 or 120 or so days of an implementation. Can you give me a broad overview of that system and then we'll kind of dig in depth to the different phases. Sure. I think what's what's always interesting is that everybody likes change, but they want somebody else to go through it. So you have to think of it in, in that phase one, you're just introdu- introducing what's changing um, and what's going to happen. And so there's this almost shell shock factor where the change feels like it's already happening, but you can't really get started because you're ramping people in um, and you're getting to the education part. Um, and then there is the, the optimization of, of all the lessons learned in the, in the very beginning, and, and now are you actually able to operate and, and get into the day-to-day normal once that shock factor is uh, worn off. Then you get to more of an optimization uh, a phase where you can start to take what the baseline was 
um, and what you've learned. You've made a few changes and now you're starting to, to move forward. And then the fourth is really steady state and growth. So then you can start to even evolve from there. So I think people go through it at different times while you're going through these phases. Somebody might be a one and somebody might be a three, um, but you have to wait to get everybody to a three before you can go to four in that mindset. And so it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of getting everybody caught up to speed. So looking at that, what are some of the most painful points? Well, you're always going to have people who are resistant to change and then you're going to have some people that are super excited but they're not competent yet you know so the people that want to dive in but they haven't thought about all the issues so i think those two groups mixing sometimes is really uncomfortable and it's about educating and saying to people you know you have to set certain expectations around what change feels like and how to know if it's actually good or bad change. So sometimes you, you think the change, uh, maybe you change when an assessment happens in an interview process and that's gonna be a great change. And you realize once you get into it, that's actually wasn't what you needed to do to fix the problem. So then you have to do a little bit of, of new change while you're kind of still going down the road, if you will. And so that can freak some people out. People get uncomfortable. Um, so it's just communicating like, hey, this is, a, this is gonna be a process of change that also changes. There's no specific recipe um, and we have to be nimble. And, and for some people that can be really uncomfortable. And with any change, there's early adopters. They're the people who are gonna go stand in line for a new cell phone. And then there's people who are afraid of change, who are gonna resist until the last possible minute. I mean, maybe, they're still on a flip phone. So how do you balance that spectrum of people? I actually saw a guy on a flip phone the other day. It freaked me out. But um, I, I think you balance the people who are early adopters um, by helping them be ambassadors for the new process. Uh, but you also have to find a few people that you know when you do that initial stakeholder analysis, they're going to be resistant to change. And you bring them in to creating the change and how the change should be communicated. A lot of times, if you make people who are resistant a part of the messaging, uh, and you can get a few of those people on your side, they're gonna bring up ways to say things to people who are nervous um, and maybe who are, again, pushing back and, and try to help you sell that internally to see the value proposition in a way you may not have seen it because you're going through the change, it's a part of what you do. Um, but I think the other thing is you, you have to reward the behavior. You have to find ways to catch people doing it well and from the top down, from a senior stakeholder perspective, that you need their support to really publicize and recognize that. I mean, it would be great to go just from phase one to phase four, but this is a process. So what steps can you take to manage expectations throughout? Sure. I think in the beginning, it's, it's getting as many people in the room, whether it's actually a physical room or virtually, to talk about what's going to happen and how, how best to mitigate anything that could go wrong. Um, and just being fully transparent and saying, you know, there are going to be something none of us have thought of that's going to break, and that could be really frustrating or scary at the time. Here's how when something unknown happens, we all agree we're going to deal with it. So it's from the beginning when you're, when you're communicating, you know, that there are just going to be things that break and being honest about it, all the way through saying, this is what we're really looking for. These are the, the moments where we start to see stabilization or things to get excited about, little victories along the way, and setting up milestones and, and check-ins where people can start to recognize that. I think one of the largest issues that we end up having is that we, we don't do exactly what we say we were going to do at, when we said we were going to do it. And so people start to lose faith. So you have to be super consistent and very transparent. If you miss one of those milestones or something happens, you have to, you have to go ahead and publicize that as well so people trust the integrity of the process. If you take it amongst yourself and try to scurry around and just hide the little imperfections, which there will be, people will lose faith in the, in the people leading the change. So I think being fully transparent, calendaring as much as you can in terms of 
you know, maybe not the exact day, but within this time frame, we should be here at this target, which could be all technology should be rolled out by Tuesday. And then, you know, three weeks from there, we should have our first batch of candidates through the process. So we'd be able to do a, a lessons learned and really making sure you hit those, those calendar events. And it, again, if you don't hit one of those explaining why being open about it and setting up a new and adjusted target. I'm sure throughout any process of change, we've all had this experience where we run into things that seem like just a little error at the beginning, but then it blows up into a much bigger issue later on. So what kind of things have you seen happen in an implementation that could have, probably should have been recognized and solved a little bit earlier? Sure. I think one example I have is where um, this we had a person who was doing scheduling, and she consistently was scheduling um, in an eastern time zone when it was a central time zone and the manager just kept correcting it and never said anything it turned out to be a technology you know we had to convert something but it was one of the funniest things to think that over a hundred interviews had been scheduled and this person was going back and just fixing it because they didn't want to cause a problem or they just assumed that the person didn't understand the difference between eastern and central time so there was a lot of a lot of dialogue there that could have you know been been easily fixed a lot sooner instead of this person making a workaround. Um, and, and it was funny when we finally got everybody together in the same room, they started laughing and they gave each other watches as a joke, um, just to, to have different time zones on them. But it, I think one of the things that's important is for people to understand, um, people are going to make mistakes, but we're looking for themes and we're looking for um, trends that we can look at to see whether it's technology, training, um, just an assumption that somebody made, and so that we can really clarify uh, the process and, and fix things quickly. Uh, people are in that polite phase in, in phase two. They're still trying to maybe date you know, a little bit and see how it's give everybody the benefit of the doubt, but the, the issue that, that happens is then habits get formed, opinions get made um, quickly, and assumptions, and we want to make sure we, we squash those quickly. So what's the best way to deal with, say, if you're an organization that's been handling things for yourself for a while, you've built in a lot of workarounds to make all your systems work, and people are really used to figuring out workarounds. How do you change that mindset so that people feel comfortable raising even what feels like small issues? So um, I think that's a, that's a really good question. A lot of times when an RPO comes in, it is a change from an internal to an external process. And people, again, having you know been on site or walking up to someone's cubicle, they come up with all these different ways to, to, to tamper with the process. And one of the things that, that we always ask people to do is to really have the process um, on, on some place on their laptop or on their desk where they can see it. And any time there's an exception to the process that has to be made, how, no matter how small, just write it down and then at you know the daily check-in or weekly check-in talk about that just again to see if it's a theme or it's a one-off um, I had to go so far as one time to put a post-it on one of my uh, clients computer that said call Emily if it's any different than this and I put an arrow down to the process map um, on her desk that I made her keep because she kept fixing it it was very nice of her to do that but that's what we were there to do was to optimize the process and to help save her time and she just had a hard time letting go understandable when it's someone's baby that they've built or they've been doing it for years and they're evolving into a new role or, or now becoming the liaison um, it's hard to let go of those things especially when your customers might be frustrated your internal customers um, and you can just fix it and you know how but it will never transition if you don't do that so um, I think it's important for people to remember anytime there's a, a process change or an, an, a, an exception you want to make sure that you are looking at documenting it no matter how small you mentioned earlier that you cannot get to stage four until you get everybody to stage three and that sounds like it would be the most difficult part of the process, especially when you have people who are struggling to get over the hump and there's people that are just kind of waiting 
at the end. How do you manage and work through that part of it? So what's really important is if you if you go back to the beginning of when we were talking, it's that stakeholder mapping and stakeholder analysis. You have to know who you're working with, whether it's a singular person or a group, um, and you need to know what the behaviors are. You also create what I would call an escalation pathway or you know somebody who's going to be your advocate in that group that you can go to when you're having trouble getting someone on board. Uh, change is hard, and, and things uh, sometimes get held up because people are just digging their heels and hoping it will go away. Um, and what you have to be is, again, that consistency and, and over-communicative, and you have to have somebody from a senior level that's really willing to um, you know, put their neck out and say, hey, look, this is the change we've decided to make. Here's why we as a business are doing this, and we need you to get on board, essentially. Again, a lot of times I try to start with, who do I know the dissenters are going to be in the beginning, and how do I get them involved in part of the solution building so that they have buy-in? You just work with who you can to, to try to escalate wherever possible. Um, hopefully, you don't have a lot of that, but, but sometimes you do, and I think it's just about being honest and transparent about what, what you're trying to do and what the impact is when somebody's a holdout. So what difference does emotional intelligence, or EQ, make during this process? So the worst thing that can happen is for an RPO to walk in and, and, and to just act like whatever's been done before and all the legacy work is unimportant because we're here now and we're going to save the day. Um, you know, I believe that we're here and we're going to save the day, but to come in that way um, really could, could crush a relationship right out in the very beginning. So you have to be listening to what's not being said as much as what they're telling you. So a lot of times it's the unspoken things that are happening or you do see somebody working around the system um, or somebody doesn't come to a couple meetings and and all of a sudden they're disengaged and you have to watch for those things to make sure that you're reaching back out and saying hey you know we really missed you at the meeting i think your input is important here is there anything that i can do to make sure that you feel more of this process um you know you, you've got to start to look for again the the nuances you're also learning a new culture a new company when the rpo comes in our job is to to elevate the service offering for both the candidates hiring managers and and all the other stakeholders but it's also to become the brand, and that's so important uh, when you come in. And if you just come in and, and do it the way that People Scout does it every single time, it's not cookie cutter. If you walk around to any of our clients, everybody has nuances and differences that we celebrate, um, and we need to make sure that we continue to do that. And in a new engagement, it's 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 important from a culture perspective to really shut up and listen, um, and and see see what people are trying to tell you, and and try to fold in your expertise with their fantastic brand. When you're at that point, phase three, transitioning to stage four, what should your relationship feel like with your RPO provider? Sure, it should be that you are getting less noise. Um, you, you know, walking down the hallway, you're not getting stopped five times for somebody asking about a requisition. Um, you're not getting the complaints on, you know, the signature lines that things have, people using the system the right way, all the little things that can break or are uncomfortable in the beginning. Uh, people stop calling uh, People Scout the vendor. Um, they start calling him the partner. Uh, you look for little cues like that. So it should start to feel like there's less noise about little things that are, are more like picking a scab and you're, you're doing more surgery on, on bigger items. You're attacking things from a, a, an innovation perspective um, and you're really working to um, get to the next level from a strategy um, overhaul. So you've got the basics, you know, people are moving forward, roles are getting filled, you're able to, to operate day in and day out without a lot of stops and breaks out of your normal meeting cadences, you don't have a lot of interruption, and you're starting to fill, fill roles on a very consistent basis, you're starting to be able to take that deep breath. 
Um, and I think then you, you look towards, okay, now what if we tried something new, we added something else in that's extra um, that we weren't thinking we could handle yet. And, and then that's usually a good sign that you're ready to move forward. And how do you determine, and maybe this is the really big question of the day, how do you determine if the pain that you're feeling in this process is normal, just growing pains versus a symptom of something bigger? Sure. So I think in general, um, no one likes walking uphill, right? And that feels tiring, but sometimes there's something great at the top of it um, and, and you're growing muscle. So there is that part of it where it's a, it's a good exhausted feeling and you feel like you're accomplishing things, you're still moving forward. I think anytime you stop and you feel like I, I am in a, a revolving door, right? It's just going around and around, but I'm not getting into anything. I'm not, I'm not able to complete anything. You feel stuck. If you feel that uh, principal gut feeling your, your stomach, if your client calls or your RPO calls, you're like, Ooh, I don't want to take that call. That's not a good sign. Um, you should be excited about the partnership. Um, and you should feel like everything you're doing is adding value. If you stop feeling value, that's when you should start sending out some big signals. So I think one example I have, I had a client where the first 100 days of our engagement, we had almost as many process changes. We just kept tampering with things and changing things around. And at first it was really frustrating, but I was so glad that we did it that way because we were able to make progress really fast versus waiting for you know every two weeks we have this meeting and that's when we'll make these changes. We really were mindful and we documented and some were very small things, but it was a new process for them um, and it was a new way of working for us um, in an assessment perspective and we could not get to a candidate um, we were having a lot of candidate fallout. And so we kept moving where the assessment was as an example. And, and we had to do that quickly because we still had to fill the roles fast. Um, I've had another client where no matter what we said, they just said, well, this is the process we want to follow and this is how we're gonna do it. It's how we've always done it. And when you felt that, that feeling of like, well, then why did you hire us? You know, we wanna bring you all these expert levels of expertise. We wanna try these new things and we can't get you to try anything. Your appetite for change just isn't there. Um, that was super frustrating and, and, and it wasn't a good sign. So we did have to escalate um, that. And, and the good news is, is once we got a level above that, we were able to get some of those changes in place and fix things. But when you, when you feel like you're kind of banging your head against the wall, um, you know, stop and see if you can get to that root cause. Is it something that is fixed or flexible? Is it something we should be testing and doing something different? Are we communicating with the right people? And are we moving fast enough or too fast? And I think those are all the things you have to look at. It's exhausting. The first 100 days of any, any new engagement, I think, is exhausting. I think they're really fun parts. It's exciting. You're getting a new brand. The team's energized. Both sides are feeling good. Um, but there's also a lot of learning, a lot of information, a lot of things that you just miss when you're in a conference room whiteboarding out process that you just have to get through. Uh, and so I think as long as you feel, again, you're moving forward, that's the, that's the way to go. If you feel like you're stuck, you got to stop and figure out um, what the root cause is. And is it fair to say that if you're not feeling any growing pains, that you're not going to see improvement at the end of the day? Yes. Yeah, I think there's always going to be some level of, of discomfort. There's always going to be some level of oh, is this the right thing? You're kind of standing on the edge of, edge of the cliff in the beginning. But I think if you're not excited or energized by it or, or tired or in some days frustrated or, or learning, then we have to ask ourselves what we're doing here. Um, I think that goes for all RPO engagements throughout all of it. We always want to be evolving and changing. Um, but in the beginning, I think if everything went perfectly, I'd be asking if we pushed hard enough to, to get the best solution in the door. All right, so you get to the end of it, get to stage four. How do you determine success? What factors from these 100 days do you need to consider? I think that's a great question. One of the things that's really important is to look at where you started. 
what were what was the intent of the engagement what were the stakeholder concerns and, and issues that you you documented have you overcome those um, and is the end result uh, and the reason for the RPO engagement is it actually working so if if in some instances it was because we need our sales managers to spend more time selling and less time hiring but we still need quality people in 100 days you're not going to know if you're quite there yet but you'll see if you're starting to get good feedback from the field and they are spending less time interviewing they're interviewing less people to make a hire you'll start to know you're going to watch that though throughout all of it uh, your whole engagement to make sure the quality is still there and and that it is netting the long-term result i think what's important is to consider um, if if you've achieved what you thought you needed to in the beginning and the stakeholders are happy now are you back to phase one and you need to keep pushing harder to change more maybe 100 days might be soon um, and you want to you want to give your process a time to, to work but we're always innovating and we're always looking so you get a bunch of people to four you know and you're in that steady state and then you're you're boomeranging forward you know you're hopefully you're springing forward and you're you're able to add something in that you hadn't expected um, try a new piece of automation leverage more technology uh, take on a different scope of business or additional scope of business. And I think those are all things we look for as, as methods of success. The other thing is talking to people, saying, hey, how's it going? What do you think? Have you hired that much with us yet or not? You know, surveys, official or unofficial, just getting that voice of customer is always important. Well, Emily, that sounds like a great place for us to wrap up. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to doing it again soon. And thank you for listening. If you have any questions that we didn't cover today, you can send them our way. You can email us at marketing at peoplescout.com or you can find us on social media. Just search People Scout on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To make sure you don't miss an episode, visit our blog and subscribe to our feed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review. Talking Talent is a People Scout production, music by sound design through Shutterstock.